With your Bibles, will you stand with me in honor of the Word of God and let's turn to the book of Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. And that will be the first verse. And the scripture reads, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me. Notice, as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. An interesting choice of words. He was not asleep. But he was. According to the indications of scripture, he was in the midst of revelation and lost focus. And I want to talk to you about awakening out of a sleep. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. The background of this story is very important to guess, to grasp the significance of what I want to say, and I'm going to try to be very hurried in this. But you have to go back to Nehemiah and Ezra in the last chapter of the book of Second Chronicles to really understand the totality of the prophecies and the words of Zechariah. Because Zechariah, along with Haggai, were prophets that were brought to Israel during a critical time in their life. When the Babylonian captivity happened, the land of Israel was purged of its people. They were dispersed all over Babylonia. And for years they were in captivity until God raised up a king whose heart was touched by God and he decreed that they could go back to their homeland and rebuild their temple. And so when Cyrus, the Persian king, rose to power, he decreed that all who wanted to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple could. And there were over 50,000 people who availed themselves of this wonderful opportunity to resettle in their beloved homeland. When they got back after a four-month journey, it took them a while, but in the second year or third year of being there, the Bible said that they laid the foundation of the temple. And then opposition arose, and it was shut down. And so for 14 years, there was only a foundation, but no temple laying on its foundation until Darius would arise on the throne in 521 B.C. And God called Haggai and Zechariah at the same time to arouse their countrymen to take up the task again. And again, someone did not want that to happen and they questioned their efforts and thus it was confirmed 
by Cyrus or by Darius that what had been decreed was true and they could rebuild the temple. But an interesting thing had happened in this process. The people of God had lost interest in rebuilding the temple. Their attitude had changed and they judged the hindrances that they were encountering as an indication that God was not in what was being done. You can misread your troubles. Amen. And so God sent the messengers of Haggai and Zechariah to awaken them from their indifference. And so that brings me back to our text today that we read from. Zechariah was both a prophet and priest, which was an unusual combination. Typically, the prophet was the one who spoke against the priesthood because it was the ministry that had fallen in such disarray. And because of that, the people of God were in disarray. But he was a prophet and a priest. And he preached restoration and he preached revival of their spiritual life. And he prophesied of the coming Messiah's reign and return. And Zechariah was the messenger of God to stir up his people for what was coming, the day of the Lord. And the words of Zechariah, when you read them, are multifaceted and have many purposes. They recall their history. They remind them of who they were. And they presented to them a solemn warning to the present generation that they need to stir something in themselves to the opportunity that was before them. And there follows in the wake of that beginning a series of eight visions that God gave to Zechariah concerning his people, their future, and God's promises toward them. Some scholars believe that these eight visions took place in one night of time. Others think it was perhaps over a period of days, but it is my feeling from my reading that it it is more likely something that happened in a one-night span. They were these consecutive visions that came from God, and God was showing Zechariah what he was going to do and how he was going to do it to reestablish his people and prove to the world that he was God of God, King of King. And Lord of Lords. And so when you begin reading the book of Zechariah, the first vision that he had was of horses and riders. They were visitors that God had sent to this earth to look it over and to do God's bidding. They came to inspect. And in in fact, God was by these riders and horses. He was reclaiming his sovereignty over the nations and he was displeased with what he saw in that they were at ease in Zion and they had taken his grace for granted and they had become careless and arrogant and abundant in their own things and complacent toward the things of God and God hadn't done anything about it as far as they were concerned and so God never would. But God sends a messenger. He sends a visitation that God was going to rebuild his temple. It was going to happen. 
I have news for you, church. God is going to build his church. Whether you and I are a part of it or not, God is going to build this church because he said, I am the one that established it and I am the one that will lead it and I am the one that will see that it prevails. Amen. The second vision was of four horns. They represented the very many obstacles that had fought against Israel, the spirits that had divided and scattered Israel and opposed them and oppressed them and harassed them. And God gave not only that, but he gave them smiths that could help them rebuild their armory and make them fit for war again. The third vision was of the surveyor who had come. God was going to draw some lines. He was going to mark off his territory. He said, go measure Jerusalem's width and its length. The visible walls are going to come down. They're not going to be needed any longer because I am going to be a wall of fire about my people. And God was trying to take their eyes off of the things that they had built and put it on the things that he had built and say, this is where your security is. This is where your safety is. This is where you will be saved from, not by the things that you have done. The fourth vision was of the prophet Joshua who stood in filthy garments and it spoke of how unworthy no one seemed to be clean enough. Nobody was worthy enough to be in this position because of their present condition. But God said, I'm going to do a work of mercy. I'm going to do a work of grace. I'm going to give you garments that will cover. Take those filthy garments off of him and put on him the garments of praise and put on him the garments of the priesthood and I will make him worthy to serve. And now we come to this fourth chapter and now it is the fifth vision that is given that night. It was of a golden lampstand and the oil that flowed from the two trees continuously in it that lit those lamps. And, and, and there were two tubes running to every branch. There were seven branches and all of them were flowing freely with the oil from these trees and there was light. And it was here in this revelation that I feel as far as I am concerned, it was the pivotal moment in all the visions that God was going to give to Zechariah. This was the critical moment, this message that he was giving to him at this juncture in his discourse was the vision that would bring the most lasting impact upon their life. And that word was this. This is the word that I want you to give to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor yet by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. There in the midst of the darkness and the chaos was an encouraging word that I am going to be the one that's going to make this happen to you. They were not alone. They were not going to have to do it by themselves. God was going to be with them. But this is what I need you to understand today. It was in the midst of this most powerful revelation that a disconnect happened. It was in this moment that was most critical for them to be connected and in tune with what God was saying. And all of a sudden, this prophet of God, this man of God zoned out. He's looking, but he's not seeing. 
He has ears, but he's not hearing. And the angel turns back to him and realizes by the look on his face or the presence of his, his countenance that something has happened to this man. And the Bible said he wakes him as a man who has gone to sleep. He wakes him. He tells him, this is the critical moment. This is the critical hour. You need to wake up. You need to realize what is happening and you need to hear what I am saying. The word that is used here for awaken carries the idea of the opening of the eye. Not just sleep, but opening the eye so that you can see. Perhaps his eyes had glazed over. Maybe he was on overload. Maybe he had already encountered too many things that night. Maybe there was too much weight. Maybe there were too many things on his plate. Maybe there were too many things pulling at his mind. And it was in that moment that he disconnected from the vision and the revelation that was coming. And the angel had to turn around and say, hey, 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 wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up. I've got something you need to hear. This is important. This is critical. This is the pivotal point of this whole revelation. Not by might, nor yet by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He had checked out. He had checked out in this critical moment and was disconnected. We would say he just lost his attention. He lost focus and the angel had to arouse him to shake him, to stir him. These words, listen to me. These words were directed to the man whose business it was. It was his calling to see and to hear. And yet he was not seeing and he was not hearing. And it is possible That we who are God's representative in this earth today can be so overwhelmed by the burdens and the heaviness and all of the distractions of life that we zone out in a critical moment. Listen, church, if this week hasn't stirred your spirit up, something is wrong with you. If you have not looked on the world stage and seen the cataclysmic things that are happening and realized that we are at the end of time, something is wrong with your spiritual indicator. Amen. And in this critical moment, it happened. And yet he confesses that in the things that really mattered at that moment, the essential message of the hour. He was not seeing it. He was not hearing it. And he needed to be awakened. The messenger who was speaking with me then turned and waked me as a person is awakening from sleep. Such a confession so artfully and skillfully made is full of admonition to you and I this morning. What had happened is that in the midst of the divine visitation and in the midst of revelation, he had lost his focus and he had lost his touch with the vital things that were happening in God's world and with God's kingdom And he had to be awakened. It was in the midst of the most crucial hour of their life that he was not seeing. Is it possible today, church, 
that we have lived so long for God that we have tuned some things out. Things that used to stir us and move us. We just flip the page and go to the next column. Things that used to arrest our attention and take us to our knees in prayer. We can yawn and move on to the next item on our agenda. And all the time God is crying out from the heavens, Wake up church! Wake up church! It's the critical hour! This is your time to rise and shine! This is your moment to be my people! This is your moment to let your light shine! And if it had not been for the provocation of God, if it had not been for God's merciful intervention, his stirring, his needling, his irritating, his goading, his pushing, his prodding, his urging, Zechariah would have missed the most important message that God had to speak in that hour. Sometimes I feel like I'm an agitator. Sometimes I feel like I am viewed as an aggravator. Why don't you just leave me alone, Brother Hughes? Why don't you just let me live? Why don't you just let me enjoy life? Why do you always have to preach this kind of stuff? Why do you always have to mess with my mind and my spirit? Instead of being irritated by that, you ought to be thankful that God cares enough about you that he had sent a messenger to you to say, Hey! Hey, 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 pay attention. Look, listen to me. Hear what I'm saying. Listen to where I'm talking to you from. I know some of you have kids. You've been talking to them at times. And all of a sudden, it dawns on you. They're not hearing a word you're saying. The eyes have glazed over. You grab that little chin and you say, look me in the eye. (laughs) And that's what God was having to do with Zechariah, his man that should have been seeing and should have been hearing. He had been, hey, hey. Wake up. You've cut your eyes on wrong. You, you, you've let so many of these distractions, you've let the heaviness of life so overwhelm you and burden you that you've lost track of what I, I'm showing you something vital for this hour. You need to wake up. You ought to thank God that he irritates you. You ought to thank God that he loves you enough and cares for you enough that he won't let you sleep. That he will wake you up. That he will stir your spirit. He loves you enough to say, hey, this is your finest hour. This is your greatest opportunity. This is your day to shine. This is your day to be my people. We can lose touch at critical moments in life. In critical hours, we can lose our focus. It's evident from the wording of the scripture that his better sense, his highest sense, 
was not operating at that moment. It had gone to sleep. Amen. How many of you have computers? You have computers? You work on them, work on them, work on them. And you go away from them for a little while. Most of them are set for maybe a minute. Your phones are that way. You're on it all day long and all. You lay it down, 30 seconds, boom, it's blank. You got to go back in there and put the numbers back in, get it activated so it, it's able to, to, to receive your information. And that's what happens in our lives. Yeah. And it's happening more and more in this critical hour that we become so accustomed, we become so insulated, we become so well, we're so blessed, we're so blessed, we're so blessed, we're, so, we're increased with goods, we have need of nothing, we are so well off, we are so well done, we're doing so great, God, God, who needs God right now? I'm not, I know I need God, but, 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 but God, I, you know, this is the interesting thing, you cannot lose your knowledge of Him, but you can lose your sense of Him. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But this tells me that none of us are exempt from missing pivotal moments. That life-changing moments can come. Seminal moments. Formative, groundbreaking, life-changing moments. Life can be changed in a moment. By that revelation, there would be energy that would come into God's people, not by might, nor yet by power, but by my spirit. The problem is up until that moment, they were still slaves in their mind. They were still living in a slavery mentality. They were intimidated by everything around them. They had been opposed by everybody in what they were trying to do. And after a while, when you live with that much opposition, you get to thinking, well, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe that's, they're not the problem. Maybe I'm and that's what the world wants you to think that you're the problem that you need to go away that you need to silence your voice that you need to sit down and be quiet nobody's interested in your story right now but I've got news for you the world needs your story right now they need to hear your story right now they need to know what you know they need to know the God that you know they don't need to have a silent church they need to have a militant church in their presence in this hour Life can get so heavy and so monotonous and so busy and so crowded that we zone out. We go to sleep. We hibernate. We check out. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Amen. The phone's ringing, but nobody's answering. I hear that often in my own life. I fear there are people in this place today that have eyes but are not really seeing. How do I know that? By the decisions that we make every day, by the direction that we point our life, by the priorities that we make for our families. Amen. Life can get so busy, it does that. Amen. We live in an hour that needs all of our faculties. It needs all of our attention in tune with God. If there was ever an hour that you were alert and living for God, this is the hour, folks. This is the church's finest hour. 
I am convinced of that. If I did not believe that, I would close my Bible right now and never step back in this pulpit. But I believe, I know from the Word of God that at evening time there shall be light, that the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. I am convinced tonight that God said, I will build my church. I will build it next door to the gates of hell and, and, and hell shall not prevail against it. I will do the work. I will accomplish the work. I will see it done. Amen. But we cannot rest on our past, our past revelation or blessings. We need a fresh anointing. We need a fresh awakening. My prayer this week has been, oh God, wake us up. Wake me up. Help me. And by waking, I don't, I don't indicate that you have gone into a deep sleep. I just, I think the word more accurately could be to, to make me aware. Make me aware. The moment when you suddenly are aware of something. It's that moment of revelation that you realize that God is speaking something. And I need to have ears to hear. And I need to be sensitive to what God is saying. There are four things that I believe needs to be awakened in us. And I don't know that they will apply all to all of you, but one of these is going to apply to every one of you. Number one, we need the winds of God to be awakened, to blow on the garden of our soul because there is a stagnant atmosphere in some of our lives. There has been no fresh oil. There has been no fresh fragrance. There has been no fresh anointing. There's just been the ritual and the routine and the rote of just going through the movements and the motion. We know all the words. Our mouths and lips are moving, but our soul is disconnected. We're sitting here in church, but our mind is at six flags. We're going through the bills that we've got to pay when we get home. We're going through the chores, and God's brought us together for an hour and a half my lord an hour and a half we give it to him on Sunday morning and he doesn't always have that hour and a half because some of the time our mind is somewhere else and there's a stagnant there's there's nothing fresh about we sing the song but there's no real fire we talk about the goodness of God and the mercy of God and the provision of God and the grace of God and we act like we deserve it we act like God owes that to us I'm here to tell you I don't owe, I, God doesn't owe me one thing today. I am just grateful to be alive and grateful to be here. And I want him to blow in my spirit. And north wind blow. Solomon, Song of Solomon 416, he said, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south wind, and blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out. Oh, so that when my love comes, he will find what he desires, the fruit from my life, that it will be conducive to him coming, that he will want to linger. The atmosphere of my soul can become stagnant and sour. 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 
May I, may I digress? Sour. Sour. Our lives can become hard and fussy. Fussy. Amen. We're more into yeah, yeah, yeah than thus saith the Lord. Amen. We've gotten stagnant. We've, there's no freshness there. How can I tell you how urgently we need these things? By the things that I am talking to you about today, I pray that somebody would be stirred to begin to pray, God, awaken, awaken, awaken the winds, awaken them and cause them to blow upon my life, upon my spirit. I don't like feeling like this. I don't like acting like this. I don't like feeling like this. I don't like thinking like this. I don't like living like this. I don't want to have this kind of attitude. I don't want to live with this kind of sour disposition. I don't want to live live with this kind of hatred. I don't want to live with this kind of bitterness. I don't want to live with this kind of unforgiveness in my life. Help me, God, to be more interested in the things that you can do than what I can gain of my own. Amen. We have ceased from feeling the need of God's move in our life because we know God and we know God loves us. Because God loves us, God ought to know that I love him. Man, I married my wife April the 5th, 47 years ago. This coming April. I told her many times I loved her. But I doubt very seriously if we would have lasted 47 years if that had been the only time I had ever uttered those words. Because a relationship is built upon love. And love has to be reciprocated. God pours his love out on us continually. But we get so busy, we don't have time to stop and say, oh, I love you. (laughs) Oh, I love you. When we were singing those songs early today, my heart was so filled with gratitude. God, you're reminding us again. You're speaking to us again so clearly. Our need, we need that awakening today. We need to become aware of just how good you have been to us. The second awakening that needs to happen. Psalms chapter 57 and verse 8. The psalmist cried out, Awake up my glory, awake psaltery and harp. One translation said, Awake my soul with the music of his splendor song and arise my soul and sing his praises. My worship will awake the dawn, greeting the day with songs. I need to awake my heart to the goodness and the blessings and the mercies of God that are poured out upon me every day. And I need to acknowledge them on a daily basis. Some of you have lost your song. Oh, you sing. You sing. You you said all the words. But you've lost the song. You've lost the soul of the song. There was a beautiful voice, young lady one day, who had, had risen high in the ranks of, of, of the classical music world and they, they wanted to bring her to, to one of the, the, the greatest of all times to hear her sing. 
And so he came in and sat down and he listened to her go through her oration and and, and she hit every note. It was perfect. It was clear. It was precise. And when she got through, he got up and walked out and was unimpressed. And when somebody said, well, what was wrong? Why weren't you impressed? He said, she's got the lyrics, but she doesn't have the soul of the song. And until she gets the soul of the song, she's never going to move anybody by her music. And I'm going to tell you, church, that if we don't get our song back, we're not going to move the world with what we have to say. But when there's a fire burning in us, when there is a fire consuming us, the song that we sing, the song that we sing will impact the world in which we live. And this is what I said a while ago. I need to say it again. You haven't, this is what the Lord spoke to me last night when I got home. You haven't lost your knowledge of him, but you've lost how to express it. And listen to me. When you lose how to express it, it's like having money in the bank, but not being able to access it. It's having funds, but they're frozen. You know what unlocks the funds that God has for your life? It starts right here. It starts right here in your soul. When you open your mouth and you begin to praise and sing praises unto the Lord, there's an exchange that takes place. God does something in a world of economy that you and I can't even comprehend today. But it is out of the mouth of babes and sucklings that I have perfected praise. And I have made that the perfecter of your life that it will bring you all of the best things when you learn how to sing your song again. Some of you haven't sang your song in a long time because you've let the hurts and the hardness and the sorrows of life steal that from your soul. All the stuff you've gone through, amen, it's taken your joy, it's taken your peace, it's taken the pleasure out of living for God. Living for God's become more of a chore than a pleasure. Worship becomes more of a chore. It's an exercise. It's not an experience. It becomes more of a habit and a ritual and a routine than an opportunity and a privilege. Your assets have been frozen. And you wonder why I feel so impoverished because I'm saying the words, but I'm not, I don't have the soul of the song. I need to recapture the soul of the song. Though we are set in the blackness of such an hour in which we live with apparently no visible help to sustain us, yet if you turn your heart toward God and you open your mouth and begin to worship Him, there's a divine exchange that begins to happen between His world and our world. And He fills our world with all of the things that we need to make it through this time in which we are living. And we can raise an altar and we can offer a sacrifice and God will come as a consuming fire. God will come and he will accept that sacrifice because that's what he desires from me. 
The third thing that needs to be awakened in our heart is found in Psalms 139 and 18. He said, every single day you are thinking about me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in every thought. Oh God, your desire toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you are still with me. You and I need to be awakened to the reality of God's goodness and God's provision and God's care and God's protection over our life. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, the enemy would have swallowed me up. But I'm here today. I said I'm here today. I said I'm here today. Not because of my might, not because of my power, but by his spirit saith the Lord. That's the revelation that you and I need today. That it is going to be a spiritual thing in this hour that's going to make the difference in our life. How many of us have become numb? We drive a blessing every day. We go to a blessing job every day and yet we gripe about it because it's not good enough. It doesn't pay enough. It doesn't this enough. And I don't get enough. And we go through life complaining. We live in the most luxurious of homes for the most part. We, we dressed in, I mean, everybody in this building looks off of, off of the fashion magazine. I mean, you look so awesome and nice today. God's, God's done a pretty good job, I think. But we seldom stop to give him credit. Well, I'm the one that had to work the job. But who gave you the knowledge to know how to do the job? Who gave you the strength to know how to do what you're doing? Who gave you the understanding? Who gave you the dexterity? Who put all of those motor skills in your life? Self-made men. Self-made men are the most pathetic creation that's ever been created. Because they're limited to only what man can do. And man, as you can see right now, can't do very much without messing it up. And we got it messed up in our country and on the world stage right now. But when God, when we recognize that if it had not been for the Lord, amen, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. Amen. All things work together for the good. All things are not good. All things are not pleasant. But God said it doesn't matter what it is. All things work together for the good to them who are the call according to his purpose. Oh yes. yes, yes. God help me to awaken. Help me to walk into my home today with a fresh appreciation. Thank you Lord. Amen. You know, you just have to travel a little bit to get a feel for how blessed we are. But Brother Buddy and Sister Vicki were with us. We went to Burma several years ago in Thailand. Burma, 
one of the most impoverished countries I've ever been in in my life. Uh, it, was, it was their New York City, the, the capital city where we were at. And uh, there were huge potholes. I'm talking about potholes that were as big around as this aisle here and three and four feet deep in the middle of Main Street going into town. People walked everywhere. People lived on just poverty rations. Their food, their substance was so, so below the level of what you and I are accustomed to. And yet they took us one day to this Buddhist temple. And it is the richest temple in the entire world. There are more diamonds and rubies and sapphires and gold in this temple that is offered to a God that does not even exist, a dead pagan. And yet there's enough gold and silver and rubies in there that if they were to take them and distribute them, every person in Burma could live a very luxurious lifestyle. They're living in poverty. And here in this little hole, there is all of the riches. And I saw that and I came back home. We couldn't drink the water. We had to drink bottled water. We, we, that we couldn't eat the food. They had to prepare special food for us because of the amoebas that are in their food system. They would have caused all kind of trouble on us. And the times that we tried to eat their food, it made us nauseous. We couldn't hardly do it. And yet we came home. We got on an airline and rode in nice luxury. We had people feed us and provide us. And we got home and we got back in our nice cars and we put on our nice clothes and we went through life thinking, look what I've done. I'm here to tell you, church, I haven't done any of this. Whatever I have today is from the goodness and the grace of of God and we better wake up and realize that this doesn't belong to me this belongs to God and I am a custodian of what God has entrusted to my life stand with me stand with me the fourth awakening is found in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 19 and this is what the scripture said he said awaken and sing ye that dwell in dust. Israel's distress and their frustration and their suffering in their life had brought them down to nothing. They were burned out rubble. They were charred ashes. The word dust literally translates ashes. Life was so terrible and it had such a consequential impact upon them. Their, their choices, their rebellion, their turning, their moving away from God had had such an impact upon them that in short order, everything of value in their life was burned up and consumed. And now they're sitting in ashes. Ashes or what remain of what once was. 
It's everything the past holds of my life. And it's nothing. It's nothing. It's consumed. Burn up. And it was in that setting that God sent a message to his people while they're sitting in the ash heap, while they're sitting in the dust. He said, awake, awake, wake up and sing. You that dwell in ashes. They were like birth pains that they had been going through, but there was no child. Their life was so convoluted and so troubled. There was no fruit for the pain that they were going through. Their efforts had been frustrated. They were living in ashes. Amen. And God said, it's time for you to get out of the ashes of your past and realize I have a purpose for your present hour. And God has sent me to this church today to tell some of you that it's time for you to get off of the ash heap of what once was in your life and quit crying over what you've lost and what no longer exists and what I don't have and realize that God is ready to do a new thing in your life today and God is ready to wake you up and give you a song He's going to wake you up and realize that you can live again. I will make you to grow, he said. I will make you to grow. I will make you to grow like plants that are drenched with the morning dew. I will saturate your life with my goodness. But you've got to get off of the ash heap. Some of you have been living in the past ashes of a burnt over experience. And I'm not pleased. I know that hurts to say that. And I, I know I need to tread softly here. But can I tell you this? God wants you to live again abundantly. God wants to restore that joy, that excitement, that exuberance. Remember you when you first came? Anybody remember when you received the Holy Ghost? When you came home that night? How, oh, you felt so... Oh, it was just, you loved everybody. You didn't know anybody didn't have the Holy Ghost. You didn't know there were any devils in the church. You didn't know there were any gossipers in the church. You didn't know the preacher was a, a jerk. You didn't know anybody. You, 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 you just felt like everybody was going to heaven. What's happened? What's happened? Why don't we feel that way anymore? Why can we, why do we become so focused on things that really don't matter? And we take up fights that we don't belong in. God said it's time for you to get up out of the ash heap. Come on, I want you to live again. I want you to live again. I want you to know how to enjoy my presence. I want you to know how to dance again in my presence. I want you to know how to have joy. I want you to know how to sing. I want you to know how to lift up your hands and praise me. I want you to know how to love me again. I want you to know how to pour out your soul to me and not have all this other clutter in the back of your mind. 
I'm already way over time. I'm sorry. This is what the Lord spoke to me to tell you today. Those of you that are living in the ashes of something that has burned up, that God wants you to live in the abundance of His present mercy. God's not through with your life. He's not through with what He wants you to do. He's not finished with what He has planned for your life. You need to get up out of the dust. Come on, you need to get up out of the dust. You need to get your song back. You need to get the psaltery out. You need to get your instrument of praise back out. Come on, whatever it is. It may be your hands, it may be your feet, it may be your voice, it may be an instrument. You need to get your psaltery out. Come on, it's time for me to learn how to praise Him again. It's time for me to learn how to dance in His presence again. It's time for me to learn how to sing again. So good. Oh yes, you've been better, you've been better than, than good. Lord, I can't praise you enough. Oh yes, oh you my life. I come on, can't praise come on, get out of the ash heap. Come on, get out of the ash heap.